0: The title of my sermon is this, Breaking Out of Dark Seasons in Your Life, or Breaking Out of Dark Moments in Your Life. I was praying uh, when I got here. I like to get here really early before anybody gets here because I don't I don't get distracted and, and so I get to get into my office and uh, and I always pray and, and, and go over different things and uh, I saw a picture when I was praying this morning uh, that is important for this Sunday. I saw a picture of dirt uh, planting soil specifically not not topsoil or just ground dirt. Uh, it was planting soil. Uh, you know of course that you would plant flowers in and when I first saw it, it was it had been there a while so maybe it had gone all winter so it was hard. It, it had weeds growing in it. The sun had baked on it. So it was kind of crusty. Maybe it got like, um, like not mildew, but you know, like the fungus growing on it, it had been that way for a while, but then I saw hands coming into it and they took that dirt and turned it all up and turned it all over like you do in the spring. And how many you know, after you get in there and you turn all that dirt up and that nice potting, so it gets nice and soft and clean and pure again and really, and, and I just felt like the Lord was saying, that's what he wants to do in this service today. Some of you have come into this room and you're like, man, it's been hard. And I've gotten, I've gotten crusty. I've gotten rigid. I've, I've let the the sun beating down of life on me, get me into a stagnant place. But God's saying, no, today, if you'll let him in this sermon and in this time, in his presence right now, he's going to come in. He's going to turn that all up into a beautiful thing that can bear good fruit and good harvest. Are you with me? So let's believe for that when we pray. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for today, this day that you have made. And God, you've given us a word. You've shown us a picture that you want to make things new and fresh. God, we don't want things to be old and stagnant and stuck and full of the weeds of this life. But God, we want to be a place that your word can, can be planted and it can grow up healthy and strong. We thank you that you're doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says this, But mark this. So count on this. Like, this is happening writer saying, this is happening, count on this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. Don't elbow your teenager. Unholy. Verse three, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, because our relationship with God ought to have power. Having nothing or have nothing to do with such people. Scripture's telling us that in the last days we're going to see dark times. We're going to see dark seasons. We're going to see heavy, overwhelming culture. We're going to see moments that just wear us down and break us down and, and, and beat us up mentally and challenge us emotionally. That's going to be a part of the last days, the scriptures saying. And I believe we're in the last days. I mean, if I reread that scripture, you would say, "Oh, yep, yep, that's now. That's now. That's happening now. And so I just want to tell everybody in the room today that if you're ever seeing yourself or finding yourself stepping into a season of overwhelming darkness and overwhelming pressure and overwhelming emotional issues and things, it's because we're living in a fallen, dark time. Can I get an amen today? Everybody is dealing with these dark times because it's a product of the end times. Everybody's dealing with these dark moments and these dark seasons. You know that happy people find themselves in dark seasons Do you know that rich people are finding themselves in these dark, overwhelming seasons? Do you know that people with great families, that you would look at them and say, wow, they're the poster child of families. They're finding themselves in dark seasons and overwhelming emotional moments. How many are with me? Do you know that rich people and successful people and people that we would want to be like find themselves in overwhelming seasons? Why is that happening? It's happening because it's a product of us living in a fallen world at the end times when the scripture warns us that dark times are here. And so I'm here to tell you today that if you're a person who found yourself in that, it's not your fault. It's not by your own doing. It's by the fall of the world. But God's not going to leave you there. Can I get an amen today? In 2020, they said that the suicide hotline it increased its calls 900 percent calls to the suicide hotline went up 900 percent. We've seen a 300% increase since 2020 on anti medicines being administered and subscribed to people who are struggling. Now, listen, I'm not anti-medicine at all, but I am here to say that that's not God's permanent design for your life. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Yeah. One a quarter of all young adults, the, the, the statistics tell us that one, 25%, a quarter of all, the adult, all adults are identifying with dealing with suicidal thoughts. I'm talking about the young people, the dreamers, those who should have the stars in their eyes and and, and a a bright future ahead for them are saying, hey, I got dark seasons and dark times and dark moments to the point that I might not want to go on anymore. What is that a product of? Is it a product of the young people or is it a product of the spirit of this day, these dark ages? I'm here to tell you it is a product of the spirit of this day. Can I get an amen? So what do we do? what do we do? We're still in this thing where we can all look around and we can identify the heaviness. But what do we do? God warned. I wrote it down like this. God warned of dark times. We just read that. God warned of dark times. Write this down. But he also promised spiritual breakthroughs. At the same time, he gave us warning of in the last days. He also gave us this promise of spiritual breakthrough in Acts chapter two, verse 17 says in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. One translation of pour out means he'll hold nothing back. He'll hold nothing back of himself on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Do You know what it means to prophesy? To prophesy means to declare life. Scripture says that our young people, your sons and daughters, are going to be the one who declares life. Even though statistics say that a quarter of them have no hope for their future. God says in the last days when he pours his spirit on those 25%, they're going to become the people that declare future life. Can I get an amen today? Do we believe that over our young people in America today? That when the enemy wants to get them to say there is no hope in the future, they're going to be the people who declare and speak that God has a future. So the scripture says that the young men, they'll, they'll speak life. They'll speak of that. Scripture also says the young men will see visions. They'll have visions of the future. They're not going to be these people who fall prey to just this season of dark times. Yet they're going to look ahead and the old men will dream dreams. This is a promise that we have in scripture that we aren't going to be a generation that's overcome by these dark times. Instead, we're going to be a people that can cast and look ahead of the things that God wants to do. Verse 18 says this. Even my servants, both men and women. So the scripture says, so who's it for? Who's it for? They're saying it's for everybody, even the servants. Both men and women I will pour my spirit on in those days, and they will prophesy. They'll declare the word. They'll speak life. I love that it said both men and women will prophesy, which means declare the word, which means God is telling us that women can declare the word. Can I get an amen? Verse 21. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who, Who qualifies? To find the salvation, to find this freedom in these last days of these dark times and all of this stuff that we're being overwhelmed with. Who who qualifies for the spirit of God to be poured out on them? The scripture says it's everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. How do we get out of these dark times? How do we get out of these overwhelming seasons? We be a people who call on the name of the Lord. I want to give you a story from scripture of one of the greatest Bible people that we can look at. His name's Elijah, the prophet Elijah. We're going to look at his dark season of life. One of the greatest men of God that we see in all of scripture. If people were to even argue, who's the greatest of all time in scripture, you might even put Elijah there. You got to remember, Elijah did such great things that he actually never died. He was taken up at a fiery cloud because he had such blessing and favor on God. But yet we find him in an overwhelming dark season in his life. But he gives us some practical ways to get out of it. Elijah, the prophet, we know is great. We see in this passage that I'm about to read to you. He calls a challenge to the prophets of Baal. They're saying your God, Jehovah, is not God. Our God, prophets of Baal, our God is God. He says, all right, well, let's have a throwdown. Let's prove it. And so, all right, let's do it. So they go up on the mountain and the the story goes to tell us that the prophets of Baal, they believe that their God is going to answer by fire. That would make him the true God. So they're doing chants and dances, and they're trying to do all their things. And Elijah's mental state at this time is so confident in his God, in God's protection, God's provision, God's plan for his life. He's in such a strong, confident mental state with God that he's literally taunting them. Fire's not coming down from heaven for them. And so he's going like, maybe, maybe your God is like taking a nap and he's taunting them. Even one time, you can read in your scripture, he literally says to all of them, maybe your God's like using the bathroom. So we give him a minute? And he's, this, he's in this high mental state. The scripture says that he then prays a prayer for fire to fall and to prove to all the nations that God, Jehovah is God. And the scripture says he prays the prayer and it happens, fire falls. We also know that Elijah prayed one time and it ended a drought. But then we pick up on the story that this guy, the greatest of all time, you could say, the goat, the best of all the prophets. And I know we're not supposed to rank, but you got this guy who's accomplished all these things and God's hand is so on his life. One minute later, King Ahab of the prophets of Baal, King Ahab's wife named Jezebel, sends a message to him. And he completely freaks out. We're gonna read it in a minute, but I wrote this down. The same Jezebel spirit that's trying to stop the signs and wonders of then is the same Jezebel spirit today that's trying to stop the signs and wonders of God today. And we gotta be cautious of how to handle it. First Kings chapter 19, verse 2 says this. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Elijah, who just saw great victory. He's on the mountaintop. Sent a message to Elijah. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And he speaks to those that are dead. She speaks to those that are dead. It's a death threat. She says, listen, here's the deal. I'm so mad at what you did. I'm so mad that you called heaven and that you proved Jehovah. I'm so mad at this, that with all of my power, of all of this thing, I'm coming after you and I'm going to kill you. What's interesting about this is she didn't touch him. She didn't capture him. She didn't have him cornered. She simply spoke her words. Isn't it interesting that so many times we disqualify ourselves from what God wants to do in our life just because we listen to the whispers of the enemy. Didn't have her cornered. Didn't have him under power. Didn't have anything like that. Simply the words are the thing that sends him on the run. Look at this. Verse three. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. That's his first mistake. He went by himself. Scripture says he went by himself. What did he do? He pulled away from community. He said, no, 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 you guys stay back here. I'm going to go on this journey by myself. He pulled away from community because isolation is the worst thing you can do when you're in a dark moment in your life. He went from the mountaintop. He went from the mountaintop of great victory, great provision, got right there to the valley in the moment of a couple words. And I'm just here to tell you this morning, if you're sitting here saying, oh, I can't believe I keep falling into this dark moment. Oh, I can't believe I keep letting myself emotionally get into this place, this heavy season. If the prophet Elijah could go from the mountaintop to the valley in a matter of moments, how many of you know we're going to be faced with that same thing? If you keep reading, this is what it says. It says he came to a broom bush. And he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. Had one of the greatest victories just a moment ago. And just a few minutes later, he's praying that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Verse five. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Mountaintop to valley in the moment, in a matter of moments. Dark moments can show up to anyone at any time. I got three points for us on how to come out of these dark seasons in our life. Point number one is this. We must take care of ourselves in the natural. This is what this story is going to teach us. The first thing we see, check this out in verse five, the scripture says this. He's under this bush. He's suicidal. The scripture says heaven is like, oh, we're going to help him. So verse five, the scripture says all at once, an angel touched him and said, you guys, this is going to be spiritual. The greatest, Elijah, needs great help. And he's in this terrible place in this dark moment of his life. And this is heaven's spiritual, high spiritual answer for him. This is what it is. This is what the angel comes down and touches him and says, Get up and eat. Come on, let's go, people. We're fasting. Let's go eat. <laughs> I just said that our, our, our point here is we must take care of ourselves in the natural. It says, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals. It was not kale. <laughs> this is <was> bread, <laughs> hot bread, Texas roadhouse bread, right? And a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, okay, this is it. This is heaven. This is going to be the really significant spiritual statement. This is going to be the deep thing that heaven's going to say to him. Are you ready? Angel comes back and again says, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. Verse eight. So he got up and ate and drank strengthened by the food. He traveled for 40 days and 40 nights To reach the mountain of God, there he went into a cave and spent the night. This is the moral of my sermon. I'll dismiss you. It's the moral of my sermon. Eat a good meal and take a nap. (laughs) Amen. This is what this message is trying to get us to see. Physical stewardship matters to God. Physical stewardship matters to God. Why do we do prayer and fasting? Why do we sacrifice food? Why do we recalibrate? Why do we do some some of these kind of things? Because the scripture says that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We carry God and how we carry ourselves naturally matters to God. Listen, chemical imbalances are real. I'm not downplaying chemical imbalances, but at the same time, life imbalances are real. God has a way and an order about how we're called to live. And taking care of ourselves is a big part of that. And if we have life imbalances, we're going to find ourselves in dark moments. The Sabbath is about life balance. God gave us the Ten Commandments. He said, hey, you want to live in a way that that not only uh, is successful for you, but also pleases me? Then follow these Ten Commands. Follow these things. And you know what one of the things he put in there was? He said, take a Sabbath. Make sure you have rest. Make sure you're taking care of yourself naturally. Because if you don't, you're gonna run yourself into a dark season. Yeah. What's interesting about this Sabbath is it's the only command that we basically brag about breaking. It's, it's Ten commandments it says, hey, don't forget the Sabbath. Make sure you're resting. And then we greet each other. Hey bro, how's it going? Man, busy, busy, busy. So busy, man. No rest for the wicked. It's crazy. What if we did that with the other commands? Hey man, how's it going? Oh man it's going crazy. I've been stealing from work like crazy. So much stealing. Just, I mean, are you good? See, I'm crushing it. Hey, hey bro, how's it going? Like, oh man, I'm up to my eyes in adultery. So much cheating on my wife. Hey, what you guys been up to recently? Haven't seen you all. What you guys up to murder, 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 murder. So much murder. Just got to see the backyard. A lot of places to dig. idiotic. You know, we would never brag about these things, but God with the same heart and the same intention said, Hey, for your well-being, you better make sure you have good pace. You better make sure you take care of yourself. You better make sure you find rest. And we all say, Oh no, I do. I do take days off, but are you taking rest from entertainment? Are you constantly sucked into a show and a program and a thing to watch and another thing to have on? do you ever find a quiet moment? Do you take rest from social media? Young people, it's not a sustainable pace if your face is always in some sort of social media. Do you know that TikTok is created for you to be in an endless pit of social media, social media. If you're never resting from social media and these entertainments and these platforms, you will find yourself in a dark moment. Can I get an amen? Our social lives, so we got to keep up with the Joneses. Everybody else is going out and having fun, and we got to go do all this. Kind of stuff. Are you taking rest from that? Because God is saying, you have to keep a good pace. Amen. Elijah was doing great things for the Lord. We saw that God was moving in his life, but he was neglecting himself. They say uh, they did a study of skiing accidents, skiing, snowboarding. It's even true for dirt biking when we would ride dirt bikes. Uh, they say 90% of accidents happen either in the last hour of somebody being there or in their last run. It's because they found what they determined to be this, that in those last runs, people are overconfident and weary. It could be said that that's the the motto of America. Oh man, we're so prideful, we're so overconfident, but we've run ourselves in the ground and we're headed for a crash. We're headed for a dark place in our life if we don't learn pace. Uh, Dr. Stephen Darry, he wrote the book called The Depression Cure. He said this, we were never designed for the indoor, sleep deprived, socially isolated, fast food laden, screen addicted, frenetic pace of modern life. You're just not meant to live the way that we live as Americans. That's why God gave us the commandments of, hey, take care of yourself. And that's why an angel of the Lord came and said to Elijah, like, hey, I want you to make it for the rest that I have for you. But what you need to do is take care of yourself. How can you take care of yourself? And you say, well, you don't understand. Like, you don't understand my job. I got to do all this and keep this pace to keep my job. Or you don't understand. I've always done it this way. I've always lived this way. And I just got to keep it this way. People know me to be the fast, crazy, always moving. Well, I got to do this to keep up with this. And Ecclesiastes says it this way. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Isn't it better for us to have peace and tranquility in our home and and stability than versus keeping up with the Joneses? We might not have the newest house and the fancy boat and take all the big vacations and have our 401k by the number we want it to be by the age 50. But I would say it this way. If it's costing you your mental health, it's too expensive. You can't pay that price to keep up with all of those things. And God is saying, you've got to take care of yourself in the natural. That's one of the ways we stay out of the dark seasons in our life. Let's continue reading. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Isn't it funny how the enemy voices never change? They're all against me. This world's against me. I'm all alone. Nobody's at my side. He said, I'm the only one. Well, I'm sorry, an angel just showed up in your life to care for you. We, we always have somebody. Scripture says, uh, he's saying things like, uh, it, I'm the only one that this is happening to. Now they're going to kill me. I'm the only one left. Nobody even cares that I exist is what the enemy is whispering. And this is God's solution to that kind of thinking. Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is going to pass by. What's the angel saying? It's important when we have those feelings and we hear those words from the enemy. It's extremely important that we don't stay in our sadness, our hopelessness, our discouragement, our anxiety, our depression, and our oppression. The angel is saying, don't stay there. Go out to here where the presence of God is going to take you from that place. Can I get an amen today? Jess and I were discussing a book that she was finished reading. And through the Great Depression, it's amazing the data of people who went through the Great Depression and how they came out of the Great Depression stronger. And part of that was a survivor mentality that was put on that generation of like, hey, if we make it through, you're going to be stronger. You can use this to be better. And now we have some of the traumatic events that we've been enduring for maybe the last 10 years in culture. But a disservice has been done to people who are going through trauma instead of saying, hey, we're alongside you. We're going to help make you stronger. You're going to come out of this better. Instead, we come alongside them and we say, no, it's okay that you're sad. Just stay in that sadness. No, you don't have to try to grow. You don't have to try to get bigger. You know, and those emotions and those feelings are real, but it's a huge disservice if we allow somebody to wallow in it. Can I get an amen today? And God is saying, hey, we need to be a people said, I don't plan to stay in this hopelessness. I'm going to go out onto the mountain to the presence of God. Are you with me today? We got to find the presence of God. The presence of God has always been and will always be the solution to dark seasons. The presence of God has always been and will always be the solution to dark seasons. My point number two is this, when we're facing dark moments in our life, point number two is we must learn to pursue the presence of God. Psalm 1611 says this, you make known to me the path of life. If I'm feeling hopeless and discouraged and in a dark moment, and I don't know how we're going to get out of this dark place, the one thing I desire is to know what's ahead of me. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed because I don't know what lies ahead for me. Well, the scripture says that it's him who lets us know what lies ahead for us. Yep. We've got to go to him and say, God, what do you have for me? What's my purpose? What's my call? What's my destiny? What's my assignment? What do you have ahead for me? Yep. Scripture goes on to say it this way. You will fill me with your joy. You'll fill me with joy in your presence. He refills us in his presence when we're lacking joy, when we're lacking that peace. The scripture says, if we can go put ourselves in his presence, we find that joy. It says with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I wrote it down like this. Circumstances steal joy. We know that circumstances steal joy, but God's presence refills joy. When we worship, we shift from life's darkness to God's goodness. When we worship, we shift from life's darkness to God's goodness. Got all these things going on. Got all this stuff coming against me. And I'm going to push all this stuff back. And I'm going to refocus on the fact that God is good. And he'll never leave me or forsake me. Let's keep reading. Scripture said, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Scripture says, after the fire came a gentle whisper. Some of you heard this before. Why did God choose to whisper? Why didn't he show off in the breaking of mountains and the, you know, the the, the very extreme fire? Why didn't he do that? Why did he speak in a whisper? Because in order for us to hear a whisper, we have to come close. God wants to speak to us closely and nearly. Corporate experiences this like this are good. To hear a sermon preached to the mass audience. But how many know life changed? So many people can say, I remember the day I sat under a tree. I remember the day I was in that one back porch chair. I remember, are you with me today? Where God came and he whispered and he spoke to me. That's why we got to make places for God's presence. My daughter, Callie, she's four. She's our crazy one. You guys know that. She's so much fun. But she's also really dad-obsessed right now and, and just follows me everywhere and does everything and just always with me. And um, our table in the kitchen, uh, it's kind of an island where we eat, and it has bar stools. And so she comes and, of course, sits next to me. And brother's there, sister's there, mom's there. And she'll sit next to me, but she'll get up on her knees to be about my height. And it's a new thing that she does. She grabs my head and pulls it over to her, usually when I'm about to take a bite of something or drink something. She pulls it over to her, and she puts her lips right out at my ears. And she whispers stuff to me. She says, she tells me stuff. And what she tells me is she wants me to hear things that are important for just me and her. That's what God wants to do when he whispers. That's what he speaks in his presence. When he gets near, he says, Hey, I got something I want to speak to you and to you specifically. So let me whisper to you. Let's keep reading. Then Elijah said to him, then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He went into the same story again. Verse 14, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Again, that voice. But the reality about this is God just showed up in a huge way in his life. God just did this many miraculous. God, God just showed off that Jehovah is God. But yet all he can continue to think about is the bad the things that were happening, I wrote it down like this. The enemy always exaggerates the bad and minimizes the good. Mm -hmm. That's how he works in dark times. That one thing that one person said, the enemy likes to exaggerate and turn on blast. But you got all these good things happening in your life. You got all these people who are for you and love you and are standing with you. You got all these things happening and the enemy just finds a great way to to muffle and to mute those things. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? So this is where he finds himself saying, oh, all these bad things. He's shouting them out loud. And God is saying, no, I understand that there's good. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, I'm going to paraphrase here because there's a lot there. But the Lord said to him, go back to where you came. He begins to tell him when you go there, anoint this person and anoint this person and set this person up. And he's setting all this stuff up. And then he talks about how Jehu and Elijah will put to death all of the enemy that he's concerned about. And then in verse 18, he says this, yet I reserve... 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. These are people who Elisha thought didn't exist. He's been saying, I'm all alone. There's nobody going through it like I'm going through it. There's nobody else out there having to face what I have to face. And God's saying, no, what you don't understand is I've reserved 7,000 others that are willing to walk with you and be with you and come alongside you and help you see it through. How many know what I'm talking about today? Point number three is this. You must find your community. If you want out of the dark times and the dark seasons and the heavy moments, you have got to find a community. The scripture says that 7,000 who haven't bowed, who were just like Elijah, who were just right with him, God had on reserve for him. I wrote it down like this. Many times, the length of your struggle is often connected to the length of your isolation. I can't tell you how many times people come to me and they finally get a meeting and they sit down and they say, Pastor, I've been wanting to come to you for a long time, but I've been struggling with this for this month. And I say, you you didn't have to struggle that long. If you were to come out of that isolation so much earlier, we could help you and get you through it and, and get you connected with people that know what it's like to go through that. And then we can put you where you need to be. How I many you know what I'm talking about? That's why the scripture said that God said to Elijah, hey, you know what you need to do? Go back. Go back and get reconnected with what you're supposed to be connected with. He sent him back to get reconnected. Connected with people who knows what it, know what it's like to say, hey, I've been there. I'm struggling the same way. These 7,000 people had the same feeling probably Elijah did. Elijah, here's this guy just trying to live the way God called him to. He's trying to live righteous. He's trying to live generous. He's trying to do prayer and fasting. He's in the lunchroom with his baby carrots. Here comes that jerk with leftover Vitalis. (laughs) Like, am I the only one? He's struggling. No, God says, I got 7,000 more on reserve that I can get you connected with. You know, the first problem in the Bible, first problem you see in Scripture wasn't even sin. The first thing God said wasn't good in scripture was solitude. It was loneliness. It was when Adam was alone. The first thing pointed out is bad in scripture wasn't even a sin. It was the condition of being alone. God said, ah, cannot do that. You have to find your community if you want to get out of dark times. Can I get an amen? 7,000 people. Now here's the key. 7,000 people, the scripture said, were just like him, meaning they had the same values as he did. We make this mistake all the time. We run into a dark season or a heavy moment of our life. And we run to people that don't share the same values as us. We call sister bucket mouth. She don't have the scriptural things to say. She just somebody good to blab to. And she said, you need it," and it doesn't build you up. Why would you run to somebody who doesn't share the same values as you? Dudes, you do the same thing. We, we run into a situation, you get mad about something, and you call your one buddy who's going to get mad with you. And he's going to say stupid stuff like, man, what you deserve. Bro, you work hard, and you deserve to go do what you... And he gets you into a prideful, selfish kind of answer. Young people, you, you do the same thing. You, you reach out to people who don't have the same values as you. And so you go on social media, and you listen to some psycho on social media. You don't know anything about the, their life. You don't know anything about the fruit in their life. And you listen to their little 30-second TikTok thing, and you think, yeah, that's what I need to do. We need to be going to people who have the same value system as us. Can I get an amen? The way that I live is like I would never go to anybody and take advice from them uh, if I didn't want to have the kind of life they have. Yeah. We're taking advice from people that we never want to be in their place. How many know what I'm talking about? Anyway, that's a soapbox. Yeah. I'll close with this. I'll close with this. Someone can come play um, speaking of, of being, uh, mentally challenged, my wife, <laughs> what <laughs> did I say that wrong? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> it, I guarantee everyone in this room is going to agree with what I just said in about one second. She, <laughs> she just finished the Dopey Challenge. I didn't name it, so don't, don't look at me like that. The Dopey Challenge at Walt Disney World. It is a series of running, okay? And this is how it works. These are consecutive days, by the way. No rest in between. Uh, on one day, you run a 5K. So you go out there, and you run a 5K. And then the next day, you run a 10K. It's getting kind of intense. That's pretty crazy. The next day, you run a half marathon. Half marathon is pretty long. That's pretty insane, you guys, right? And then the very next day, okay, you run a full marathon. Full marathon, all right in a row. Now, how you many know? I wasn't speaking online when I said maybe unwell in the head, right? <laughs> Dopey chance. And she completed it. Give it up to her. She did it. No problem. <laughs> I got to take a break just walking off the Space Mountain line. Like you get off that ride. That's a long one. If you know what I've ever been in. So the Dopey Challenge is just this huge case. I'll just say this, one more thing about her, just to brag about her. Uh, if you took the amount of steps between like, the theme parks we did and the races that she did in a four-day period, she walked in four days the equivalent of what the average American walks in two months. Wow. Yeah, you don't want to see her feet. I'm <laughs> just kidding, I'm kidding, they're fine. But here's what happened. This is my closer, OK? This is, this is how I want to bring it home, speaking of community. You need people in your life that are there to cheer you on. You need people in your life that when you're tired of running, you don't draw back from them. You don't avoid them. You don't push them aside. You say, hey, I need your cheers in my life right now. So there's this moment. uh, There's about 11,000 runners that ran this race. But the thing that you don't consider, I know I'm going a little bit late, but we got Red Bulls and candy for the kids. I promise I won't go as long as Doug, so don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, so what we do is we go down to the thing. So eleven thousand runners times everybody brings their friends and family to come cheer them on. So you got to imagine, let's just say average of three people or four people. So there's like forty some thousand people all jammed in like the same finish line, the same place to see all these runners. And so uh, the Magic Kingdom part, because if you've ever been to Disney World, she runs literally to every park. Like, if you ever took the bus ride to Magic to Animal? Like, she actually ran to every single park in the same race. Anyway, we go to Magic Kingdom. And there's a back alley. And there's tons of people all around. There's this, And they run these races in the middle of the night because they got to open the parks during the day. So there's this back alley that you run. And they can't, see, they can't see the spectators. They can't see the cheers. They can't see the runners. And they're running in this back alley. But when they come around the corner, here's the crowd. Here's the cheering section. Here's the people, and so I text Jess. I was like, I was like, oh, it's crazy. I was like, this is so cool. I said it's like a stadium. When you come around this corner, uh, you come around this corner, and then there's Tony's restaurant, which is where Lady and Tramp met and fell in love, right there. And uh, you run around there, but they can't see, so they're blind. So they're 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 like running. They're toward the end of the race, and they're all like, I can see them, but they can't see the crowd. They're all running like I make bad life decisions, <laughs> you know, because they did, they did. But when they see the crowd, I told Jess, I was like, it is like a stadium ovation when you get in here. And in that moment, I just felt like the Lord was like saying, this is what I want the church to be. Because they went from going like, I can't make it. This is awful. I hurt. And then the ovation, they all went from this to, I can do this. I can make this. And I just hope it's said about our church that as people who feel like they've made a bad life decision, as people feel like they're not going to make it, as people feel like they're not going to get it to the end, they're not going to be able to make it through this season or this dark time. I hope that this church and our community and your community can be that ovation section who lifts them up and carries them through. Can I get an amen? We also went to another spot on the road and uh, it wasn't really where all the fanfare was. I was actually just taking a uh, uh, just keep steroids with her and stuff, and so I needed to take some of the needles. And uh, kidding. Uh, she was like, "Hey, can you pick up some of these things?" So I literally like went to a parking lot, and she like threw this fanny pack at me, and it wasn't like a spectator area, but they had to hold up traffic. They had to hold up traffic. I didn't say this in first service, but they had to hold up traffic for all these eleven thousand runners to run by, and so the local people weren't having it. So as they were held up. The people are in their car like this, like, "ah, you stupid runners. You're such an inconvenience. Ah, and same warning hit my heart. I hope that we as Christians who are in such a hurry to go get to our thing, that as these people need us to cheer, we're not going. That's why we serve. That's why we give. That's why we pray. How many of you know what I'm talking about? So we need to be that cheering section. We need to be that people who lift people up in their dark moments. And it's impossible for that to happen in your life if you don't allow yourself to get involved in God's community. Go to people like the 7,000 on reserve who have the same values as you. Can I get an amen? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm going to pray for you. I know all of us, every single one of us, have hit dark moments this year. Maybe even this week. We've all hit dark moments heavy moments. But I know that the scripture has countless testimonies where the scripture says, and then suddenly their life was changed. And then suddenly it may not happen suddenly now, but then we also see in scripture as they stayed faithful, as they stayed persistent, as our series is called, as they sought God, they found him. But my belief right now, and I'm putting my faith out for you today, that if you find yourself in a dark season, whether you need a healing, whether you need to come out of a heavy, oppressive season, maybe financially things look really bleak and you just couldn't see yourself in this season, but all of a sudden you're there. Maybe you have family members who've walked away from God and, and, and you, you just feel like there's no hope for them because they're too far gone. I believe in a suddenly right now as we pray God can pull people from these dark seasons. Yeah. Just as he did to Elijah, an angel came and said, hey, listen, you got to get yourself taken care of because I got 7,000 on reserve. We got much more to do. Yeah. God had victory ahead for Elijah. He has victory ahead for you. Let's tap into the 7,000 on reserve, this room right here, where people have the same values as you. Let's believe for God to bring breakthrough. Let's do it. God, we love you so much. We know this is a holy moment right now. God, your word promises that the the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. We are your church. And so, God, I pray against everything, every plan of the enemy, every scheme, everything seen and unseen that is a work of the enemy. We bind it and we curse it by the authority given to us by Jesus. We say that these dark moments, these dark seasons will not win. They will not have us. God, we ask for your angel army to come and minister in this moment. And to refresh us like you refreshed Elijah. God, I pray that you show us our community. You show us those that are standing with us and cheering with us and lifting us up. Lord, we thank you in advance for the work that you're doing. God, I pray that you help us maximize the good and minimize the bad as it comes. Help us take our thoughts captive in Jesus' name. Amen.